Yeah. On a show that talks about time traveling Bigfoot and alien sex cults. This is serious journalism, people. Serious. <laughs> this time, this, this like, time we mean it. If you think that there are not birds that are not <laughs> real, you're a moron. I do have a superstition that Satan and his minions yes. interrupt mm. technological yes. connections when conversations are getting yes. particularly interesting or, or important. At this point, I'm not throwing these weirdos out because maybe they're telling the truth. Why does everything have to be a hidden conspiracy where the <laughs> motives aren't really clear? Where you can't tell what someone's intentions are from their words. Why, Abby, why? I, I feel like you're just not answering the question. It, there is a pattern here that is definitive, and mm-hmm. this leads us to the CEO's response, yeah. which is not the way that you Amazing. want to play being accused of in a conspiracy theory. Glowing metal things that are moving in impossible speeds and impossible directions, defying laws of physics, showing up over battlefields, showing up over important historical events for all of history. This is Chekhov's gun, you guys. It's the gun that's been sitting on the mantelpiece since Act 1. It's Act 3 now. I'm waiting for it to go off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Conspiracy Pilled Season 3, Episode 11, The Business Plot, The Attempted Overthrow of the United States Government. I'm your host, PJ Williams, and with me, as always, is Abby Libby. How are you doing, Abby? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm excited about this one. I feel like we talked about this, or I talked about this to you, like, way back in Season 1. Right? Just to give you guys a little hint of, like, how this show works behind the scenes. <laughs> I was like, oh, I found this thing, this piece of history that I didn't know was real, and it's amazing, and it's awesome. I got to cover it. And then, you know, like, a year later, Abby's like, hey, have you heard of this thing called the yeah. business plot? We should cover it. Yeah, no, we just go week by week. So, like, yes, we have a long list. Yes, we we hear you guys' requests, and we put them in a list. And then whatever just feels right for the week, whatever thing we're interested in that week, we go with. <laughs> yeah. So we're finally getting around to it. I uh, I want to say I found out about this first uh, a couple years ago. It was my friend Josh Miles at work who he passed away a couple years ago. And um, he was like, Abby, have you ever heard of this this thing? It's like, I can't believe you've never heard of the business plot. It's And he he went through the whole thing. And that's where I was like, how, how, how did I go through, you know, all of, all of grade school, all of high school, two semesters of intense U.S. history, <laughs> never heard about this. Yeah. Well, that's exactly <laughs> the thing, right? It's like, the, I think that this is going to be just such a different episode for us in a, in a little bit, in a, little, a few ways, just because yeah. it's so... Actual factual. You it's know what I mean? hinged. It's it's hinged. It is Who like our we? most hinged episode. I feel weird uh even doing an episode that's just so factual. But it's it's conspiracy Boring. fact. It's conspiracy fact. It's a part of history that we should mm-hmm. all know about. We should have been taught in school that none of us were. And I think it's got a a lot of really pertinent themes. Mm. So there I have a whole section at the end where I really just want to discuss some some questions about it because normally we save our like discussion for the rumble section. But this time I'm like, no, I think this the discussion of this is kind of the point of it. I don't think the point of this one is proving to you a conspiracy theory because it's it's pretty well established historical fact at this point. But just like talking about it because, whoa, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So. I also want to point out, guys, that we are, I know it, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. This is the first time I've ever been this way, but we're already in the Christmas <laughs> season. It's probably because I've been working on Christmas sweaters and a, and a secret <laughs> Christmas thing that I'm going to release to you guys in a few weeks. Uh, but I'm wearing my making a list Hillary Clinton ugly Christmas sweater. I think Abby has her um, all I want for Christmas is Epstein's client list which is awesome. <laughs> These are so, so much fun. Yeah, you guys can go to hawkhoundmedia.com slash conspiracy, pick one up. Um, other than that, guys, I'll, I'll just a few more, one more, one more like a uh, business thing. We'll get to the episode. Um, we've been behind the scenes working on some content. I've hinted at it in our Discord channel a little bit. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out when we're going to re- release it, but within the next few days, we'll be releasing the first part of a new kind of short, shorter podcast, shorter like a, uh, extra podcasts, extra videos and stuff like that. So be on the lookout for that. I finished the first one today. We're working on another one soon. Um, very exciting stuff. So even if you're a listener, you'll get these things. They'll be, I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes tops. Yeah. Uh, but we'll just be adding in more stuff on the RSS feed, on Rumble and all that stuff. So be looking for that. We've just, we've just been doing a ton of behind the scenes stuff. And I'm like yeah. finally excited because I'm like, I get to start releasing things throughout the next <laughs> few weeks. There's like, there's like all these pieces of content I'm sitting on and we live stream. Okay. I'm not, I can't hold things back. Like when it's done, I'm like, here, here you go, guys. Watch it. Tell me how, tell me how good it is. Um, PG's been doing a lot of work. I've been being supportive. (laughs) He'll he'll be like, he'll call and I have five ideas. I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds, that sounds great. I have been pestering Abby. She probably hates me now. Um, but we persevere quick shout out to our, uh, local supporters, by the way, that you, you guys help keep this show on the air as we'll say. Uh, so Saggles is our first local supporter that, uh, gave a one-time, uh, support of three months. So thank Ooh. you for that. We also have Sarah 25335 and Scotty white 802, who are our new monthly supporters over on locals. And then we have will 88 with a new yearly support. Uh, so you guys can go over to conspiracypill.locals.com, get an extra bonus show tomorrow night. Uh, we stream it live on Locals. We stream it on Rockfin. You guys can get that. And uh, you get two two episodes a week, guys. You get our unhinged <sighs> stuff. So, Okay. All right. Let's get into it. Shut up, PJ. I will God. shut up. Okay. So the business plot was I promise. Considered... I will let oh you finish. <laughs> <laughs> are, are, you, are you done? I'm done. I'm done. Okay. Uh, I'm really just one dying. of those, one of those things that people thought was a conspiracy theory at, at the time that people thought was ridiculous at the time, thanks to the media. But now, like in hindsight, with years to research it and confirm things, it's pretty universally acknowledged as historical fact. So, yeah, let's. OK, I want to start with this question, because the f- there's been a resurgence of people talking about this, right? We don't learn about it in school. Almost no one talks about it. But there's been a few people who have started to make a thing about it again. Yeah. And it's in the context of January 6th wasn't the first time there was an ins- there was a fascist insurrection. There was the business plot. And so it's being framed this way as this fascist coup. Uh, and I want to ask the question... At the beginning, I want you to think about it through the show, and then we'll talk about it in the discussion section at the end. Was this actually a fascist plot to overthrow the government, at least as we understand fascism, which means I should probably get into a little bit of a definition here on fascism. So it's been really conflated with the right wing. But here's here's the definition from World 101 History. It's a, it's a site that's not Wikipedia. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you can't use Merriam-Webster anymore either because they changed it right. recently literally to put right wing. Like only, <laughs> only the right wing can be fascist. Right. So many experts agree that fascism is a mass political movement that emphasizes extreme nationalism, militarism, and the supremacy of both the nation and the single powerful leader over the individual system. This model of government stands in contrast to liberal democracies, which support individual rights, competitive elections, and political dissent. In many ways, fascist regimes are revolutionary because they advocate the overthrow of existing systems of government and the persecution of political enemies. However, when it advances their interests, such regimes can also be highly conservative in their championing of traditional values related to the role of women, social hierarchy, and obedience to authority. And although fascist leaders typically claim to support the every man, in reality, the regimes often align with powerful business interests. So a couple things I want to pull out of here. Um, yeah, that's a long definition. It's a yeah, good there's, one. Yeah, there's a lot good. there. It, it's, you can see how it's gotten lumped in with conservatism because it can, a fascist regime can be dictating down traditional values. Sure. Um, but, and it's different from just a dictator who comes in contrary to the will of the people and just says, I, I'm dictator now. Like, this, the dictator's put in power because of the people. It's like a populist thing. They want, they want this person to be in charge. They at least in the beginning of these things, they install this person because they like them. Right. Very patriotic, very um, enamored of this single powerful leader uh, and the, the strength and the militarism and the supremacy. And like, there's a lot of feel good about it, at least when it starts. So keeping that in mind, I'm going to, I'm going to start with a timeline just some, you know, maybe possibly they might seem like unrelated events leading up to the business plot, but I'm just going to maybe include some random things for no particular reason. So <laughs> sometime in the mid 1800s, Bohemian Grove got going. So that's just a random. Some random ra- yeah, plot totally point. random thing that we've. Yeah, right. No, uh, no, no relation to this at all. No relation to this at all. 1913, another random plot point. Thanks to secret meetings of elites on Jekyll Island writing legislation. We established the Federal Reserve. Yay. <laughs> and just randomly, uh, J.P. Morgan was involved with that. <laughs> <laughs> did we do, did we do uh, we did. the Bohemian Grove and Jekyll Island in the same episode? In the I same episode, yeah. Yeah, so if you guys want some context for that, we did do an episode with both of those uh, yep. in there. Yep. 1914, World War I begins. Another completely random plot point in the middle of World War I, Prescott Bush... The father of H.W. and grandfather of W. 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 Yeah, I was going to say it's W. W. Um, and Jeb. Uh, and Press- Jeb. And, <laughs> and Jeb. Jeb. Nobody cares about him, but anyway. <laughs> so Press- this guy, Prescott Bush, joins the Skull and Bones Club at Yale. Uh, and after he joins the Skull and Bones, he is stationed at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, Fort Sill, Oklahoma was meant to be like (laughs) (laughs) uh, that fort in Oklahoma. And while he was there, he 
allegedly, as the story goes, grave robbed the skull and bones of Apache warrior Geronimo (laughs) and brings the skull and bones back to Yale where they live in the skull and bones clubhouse. And Geronimo, we 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 need to do a whole episode on skull and bones. You guys have asked for us for uh, episodes on secret societies, and it is coming very soon. We're going to do it probably after the first of the year. We're going to do a whole series of different secret societies, including skull and bones, including the Freemasons and all that stuff. So uh, we haven't ignored you guys. We're we're going to get there. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk all about how Geronimo's skull and his family, how they sued over it, and. All kinds of stuff about that. And the things they do with the skull. That's <laughs> <sighs> that's going to be like an R-rated episode for sure. Yeah. Skull and yeah, Bones sure. Club is not. Uh, Don't let your kids listen to that episode. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, in 1918, World War I ends. And then in 1922, fascist dictator Mussolini comes to power. And like we talked about, he, he comes to power because people want him in, in power. He's the youngest guy to ever be prime minister of Italy. Um, and, and that kind of was rammed through by popular demand. Um, laws were changed to allow him to do that. And he, he with the, the, like the military might and, and the patriotism, and he just really became a dictator and watching him, rich men in the United States began to, uh, admire him and the way that he was running his country uh, mostly for his ability to make the trains run on time yep there's something about a dictator that can just kind of like force things to be the way that you want them and and that's what that's the appeal right you're like this is the way the world should be and this dictator is gonna do that and i like it's a shortcut right to like what you want yeah right it's a uh, short-term Short-term benefit, long-term disaster, right? Yeah. In 1924, the World War Adjusted Compensation Act gave bonuses to veterans of World War I in the form of certificates. So they were kind of like bonds. And the idea was that, according to the act, they could be paid as early as 1925 and no later than 1945, but the certificates were basically just redeemable in 1945. Right. Which yeah. for a lot of these guys, they'd was, be dead. They'd be dead. Yeah. Potentially by the time 1945 finally rolled around. So there was that hope or, you know, even expectation that it wouldn't necessarily be that long, but that was the final end date. It's, it's the government's version of Scott's tots, right? It's like, <laughs> Hey guys, <laughs> when you graduate, I'm going to give you all laptops. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. without any plan or yeah. To make right. That really happen. So they all have these certificates physically in their house that says they're going to get all this money. That was, that was at, you know, it was only like $600, but at the time that was a significant life changing amount of, of money. Uh, so they have these. They've had them for five years when the Great Depression begins. Mm-hmm. Imagine living in the Great Depression and staring at your certificate of the money that you've already earned. Like you've already. You fought a war to get. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And you're like, I need this really badly. Yeah. <laughs> My family's starving. I have no job. I need this money Disabled to lose from my the house. war, yeah. all the things, yeah. Yeah. So in 1932, 
they begin to realize the veterans begin to realize uh, they are not going to pay our money at mm. all. Um, they are going to wait until 1945 when we're all dead. And right now we are desperate. So 43,000 people, um, which was veterans, their families and, and supporters of their cause, uh, marched on Washington to demand the bonuses. And they didn't just march. They set up camps. They set up a Hooverville right outside Washington, yeah, D.C. Uh, and they worked with local police to ensure that they were building their temporary structures in an appropriate location. Like this, hold, this was a, hold on. Those structures had to have been there for like a thousand years. <laughs> Come on. Nobody can build temporary cities. Sorry. Um, I'll stop yeah. talking about Tartaria eventually, guys. But I, I want to stress here that like these people, they weren't doing anything wrong. Yeah. They weren't. The, the threatening thing about them is this. This is a lot of war hardened men. Yeah. <laughs> but in in every way. They were trying to be good citizens about the way that they were going about this. Um, but yeah, because there wasn't like there wasn't like outbreaks of riots and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that, right? It was pretty peaceful, right? No, it, it wasn't. It wasn't it fiery, was. but mostly peaceful. It just was peaceful. It just was peaceful. It was yeah. just it. It frightened Herbert Hoover, yeah. and I can understand why. If you really don't want to do a thing, and you have forty three thousand people. Uh, many of whom are World War One veterans at your doorstep. <laughs> yeah, I can understand why he felt the way he did, but he should have just freaking paid them. That would have made sense. Yeah, and and uh, this is where a guy named Smedley Butler comes in. He's a major general in the in the United States Marine Corps, and he was really known as a a a veterans general. Oftentimes, especially nowadays, we think of generals as being the ones who are like mostly political. Veterans don't really like them. Mm -hmm. they, they're more concerned with pleasing the yeah. powers that be. But Smedley was different. Smedley was very much a he reminds me a lot of Colonel Ollie North in a lot of ways, a, mm. a really a, a guy of the people as opposed to a guy of Washington. And he he arrived on the scene to support them. Um, and, and I think it's like within one or two days of Smedley arriving, Herbert Hoover sends in the U S army cavalry led by general Douglas, Douglas MacArthur and who destroys these, their camps, burns them. Who, by the way, is looked back on in history, like fondly, right? MacArthur, you know, I want to, I want to keep, keep a pin in that MacArthur thing sure. throughout this because it's, it's interesting how history remembers MacArthur that way when it was Smedley who was that at the time. Well, that's my point, right? It's like Smedley yeah. Butler is like, we're saying this name like Smedley who? You know, Smedley who? who? Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, MacArthur, like MacArthur Park, you know, like World right. War II, General, the whole thing. Like people remember the name yeah. for sure. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I'm sorry, like the whole media like slandered this bonus army is what, what they ended up yeah. calling them. As a bunch of mooches, as a bunch of ingrates, as, uh, you know, wanting handouts, literally just saying, hey, we we fought and many of us died right. and we came home injured from a, from right. the war to end all wars. Uh, and and the media still something. smeared them. Yeah, you promised yeah. us money and the media still smeared them as mooches and handouts yeah. and, and, all, and all that stuff. It's pretty, pretty awful part of history. This yeah. again, I, I doubt I doubt anybody here 
unless they went to college, maybe, and they, they got it in a course there. Right. Learned about this in middle school, high school, and I've never learned nope. about the bonus army in, in, or any of this stuff in high school. Nope, 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 nope. You skip right from World War One to World War Two. <laughs> well, yeah, we could do well, a whole discussion about World War One. Yeah. World War One is uh, Franz Duke Ferdinand got shot. Who the hell was he? I don't know, but he got shot and uh, a war. And then the whole world that went was like to war. legitimately my history class was like, yeah. Who's Franz Duke Ferdinand? Why was he important? Because he was killed. That's why he was important. <laughs> <Right>. Duh. <laughs> yeah. They do a terrible job of explaining, uh, or I don't think anybody in America today like really understands World War One if they are just basing it off right. of like a public education. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think we get it. I, I think a lot. I don't think the people at the time even completely understood. There was just like it's almost like there was just a spirit of Aries. Well, that, that yeah, that's why we said Wonder Woman is basically like probably the most accurate representation right. of, of World War One. Right. People who do study it, though, I've listened to people who study it a lot and they say it basically feels like Europe was just going to tear itself apart one right. way or another. Um, probably, so, some, probably some shadow government dealings in, in there, too. But yeah, probably some stuff we don't we don't Pro- know about. Or probably understand. a lot of stuff we don't know. Yeah. But the way that that Herbert Hoover and Douglas MacArthur dealt with this was was really brutal. Like mm-hmm. people died, they they burnt their camps. Did did we show the picture? No, I'll show it right now. So yeah, they yeah. they did. They burnt down their villages, stampeded them with horses. The whole the whole deal. Yeah, you can see the White House and the ba- who built this? Who built this? Um, but yeah, it, like the these to me, this is such a, such a betrayal. Like they already worked with local police to make sure they're not breaking laws right to be mm-hmm. here and they know they're well within their rights medley's there telling them they're within their rights to lobby washington herbert hoover gets scared and because he can he violently evicts them people died and like they're out there because they're desperate and they're gonna burn like the only stuff they have yeah like it's so cruel and understandably this is where smedley uh really really takes a turn in his his way of thinking so we have a couple photos of smedley just to kind of introduce him he's very much a, a marine um he i don't i didn't find a picture of it but he has like this massive tattoo of of the marine like globe and laurel situation mm-hmm. all over his chest um he was like very much a military guy um really into it i guess he had a ton of influence among among the common people not just veterans but but other people very much a hero figure um, but he was a lifelong re- Republican up until this point uh, with the Bonus Army, and he took this as a betrayal, kind of a p- very personal betrayal by President Hoover. And he responded to what happened with the Bonus Army by supporting FDR in the 1932 election. Yeah. So he go he goes from being a lifelong Republican to being a big part of why Franklin Delano Roosevelt becomes president. And getting rid of the incumbent Hoover, as he had a ton of influence. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead in the timeline real quick to 1936, just to note that 
It was 1936 when Congress voted to finally release the bonuses. And FDR vetoed it. Oh, for I didn't even know that part. Yeah. That, that's crazy. And then Congress outvoted the veto. So FDR ended up betraying <laughs> Smedley as well. The whole reason yeah. Smedley supported him, which is really, really wild. FDR Especially, betrayed a lot of people that got him into office. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which is really crazy, too, because it's like FDR didn't have any compunction about spending money wildly mm. and giving people stuff. But he didn't he didn't want to give the bonuses in nineteen thirty six instead of nineteen forty five like f d r like literally paid bullshit. people to clock in and sit there and then go home like yeah. like that was his work program, yeah, the whole it, idea of government paid shovel leaners comes from f d r because that was part of it. it was like if you show up to the job, we don't have a job for you, but right. if you show up, you get paid yeah like that was part of f d r s work program, so yeah through through money what a, a lot of people, yeah, right, what a guy. Just not the people who earned it. So back to the, back to the straight timeline. We hit 1933 and a bunch of stuff starts happening all at once. Uh, fascist dictator Hitler comes to power. Super fun guy. Uh, also, FDR begins to go off the gold standard. It's yep. supposed to be in 1933 just a temporary measure to help us get through the depression. But we all know how that turned. I, I was, I'm under the impression that government actually means it when they say temporary measures. That, <laughs> isn't that the case? <laughs> I don't think they've ever meant the word temporary to be temporary ever. Yeah. Never worked that way. It, temporary until you're okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> until you're used to it. Until it's the norm. And then, and then it's, a, it's a value you want to conserve. And in 1933, Smedley Butler starts to go off on capitalism and bankers. And I'll talk a little bit more about his position on all that in a little bit. But he really is on this arc where he used to be a Republican and he's really not anymore. Right. In a lot of ways. But Hoover 19- did that to a lot of people, though. Yeah. Because, like, what I had read, sorry, I'm not trying to like derail you. What I had read is that, uh, you know, like the black vote was generally Republican up until Hoover. Mm-hmm. And then it switched with FDR. And then it's just kind of like that's been the idea since since then. Mm. Right? Yeah. I know LBJ well, was also really yeah. instrumental in, in... LBJ was in a different way, for sure. Yeah. But, but, but 100%. Mm-hmm. So 1933 is also the year that the business plot took place. But no one would know about it until the following year. And this is where stuff gets messy. And I'm going to do my best to present it, but there's a lot of re- if you're interested in like knowing exactly what happened and exactly what can be proved and exactly how we know what we know, um, I'll give some resources at the end because I'm just going to kind of go through and not not really prove anything for you because I think it's boring. <laughs> so in 19, <laughs> sorry, in 1934, Smedley Butler testified before the United States House of Representatives Special Committee on Un-American Activities. Mm-hmm. And Huack. he exposed a conspiracy. So we have a little newsreel to play for you. Hopefully the audio works. I don't even think we tested this before the show. Uh, it, sh- <laughs> it should work. I guess we'll <laughs> find out. <won't> we? <laughs> yeah, usually we test this uh, type of stuff. Here we go.
I appeared before the Congressional Committee, the highest representation of the American people under subpoena to tell what I knew of activities, which I believe might lead to an attempt to set up a fascist dictatorship. The plan as outlined to me was to form an organization of veterans, to use as a bluff or as a club at least, to intimidate the government and break down our democratic institutions. The upshot of the whole thing was that I was supposed to lead an organization of 500,000 men which would be able to take over the functions of government. I talked with an investigator for this committee who came to me with a subpoena on a Sunday, November 18th. He told me they had unearthed evidence linking my name with several such veteran organizations. As it then seemed to me to be getting serious, I felt it was my duty to tell all I knew of such activities to this committee. My main interest in all this is to preserve our democratic institutions. I want to retain the right to vote, the right to speak freely, and the right to write. If we maintain these basic principles, our democracy is safe. No dictatorship can exist with suffrage, freedom of speech, and press. Not to spoil the ending of this episode, but I think he's... Oh. <laughs> not, I was going to say not to spoil the ending of this episode, but I, I'm not sure he's entirely right on that point he made at the end there. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it because yeah. Smedley's opinion of the thing, just just because he's the person who comes forward and, and talks about it, doesn't mean his conclusions about it are correct. And, and we'll we'll talk about that. Okay, most of the media coverage, as all this stuff starts co- coming out, Smedley starts talking to the press. Um, there starts to be little bits getting out here and there about what's going on in this in these hearings and the media coverage at the time is not taking this seriously they're mocking smedley in fact they ultimately smear him so much that that he's really not taken seriously for the rest of his life Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's i think it's why we see douglas macarthur as like the hero of this time instead of smedley is be is because of how thoroughly they trashed his reputation over this um the new york times in particular uh notably kind of led the charge making fun of the whole thing but smedley did talk to a reporter he knew and trusted named paul comely french and here is the first article that paul wrote i'm just going to read read it quickly it's not long and it kind of sums it up well so the headline here is three million dollar bid for fascist army baird this was published november 20th 1934 Major General Smedley D. Butler revealed today he has been asked by a group of wealthy New York brokers to lead a fascist movement to set up a dictatorship in the United States. General Butler, ranking Major General of the Marine Corps up to his retirement three years ago, told a story today at a secret session of the Congressional Committee on Un-American Activities. Before he appeared before the committee, General Butler gave the correspondent a detailed account of the offer made to him. Of course, I told the leaders of this fascist movement that I wasn't interested in fascism or in any other ism, Butler said with characteristic vigor, and that I wouldn't consider any such proposition. The whole affair smacked of treason to me. He said he was approached by Gerald G. McGuire, who is connected to the firm of Grayson, M.P. Murphy and Company, 52 Broadway, and asked to organize 500,000 veterans into a fascist army. Shortly after McGuire first came to see me, General Butler continued, he arranged for Robert Sterling Clark, a New York broker, to come to my house at Newport Square, Pennsylvania to see me. Sorry, Newtown Square, Pennsylvania. 
Clark, who maintains offices at 11 Wall Street, is reported to be worth more than $50 million. General Butler outlined details of the plan. He said McGuire assured him they have $3 million on the line to start the organization. The upshot of his proposition was that I was to head a soldier organization in Washington to take over the functions of government. McGuire explained to me that they had two other candidates for the position of man on the white horse. He said that if I did not accept, an offer would be made to General Douglas MacArthur, chief of staff of the United States Army, whose term of office expires November 22nd. And the third choice would be Hanford McNider, former commander of the American Legion. So far as I know, neither General MacArthur nor McNider has been approached. Their names were merely mentioned as alternates. If the Un-American Committee wanted to get the whole truth, Butler testified, it should call Banker Murphy, a Morgan banker and treasury of the Liberty League, Alfred E. Smith of the Liberty League, General MacArthur, Legion Commander McNider, and Giannini banker Frank N. Belgrano, and William Doyle, former department commander of the Legion in Massachusetts and one of the royal family or kingmakers of that organization. Apparently, the committee did not want to get the truth. Ah, that sounds familiar. Yes. So, so you're saying so you're saying that a bunch of <laughs> businessmen huh. organized, got uh-huh. together, uh-huh. tried to uh-huh. hire the most popular general in the United States uh-huh. Uh-huh. to lead a 500,000 person army to overthrow the government, uh-huh. set in a fascist dictatorship. And when the government finds out, they go, we'll have a closed door session with with you, Smedley. Mm-hmm. And then that's that's all that's going to happen. Think about how different this government response is to January 6th and like yeah. compare those. Yeah. Right. <sighs> One other question really yeah, quickly. Yeah. So the uh-huh. guy who was coming to Smedley Butler and, and offering him money constantly, his name was McGuire. Yep. Gerald McGuire. Gerald McGuire. When Gerald McGuire showed up to Smedley Butler's house, did he shout at him? Show me the money. Show me the money. Did he do that? I don't, I don't think that's what happened. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> okay. She's never going to get my movie reference. It's Jerry Maguire. It's I'm never. Yeah, I'm never going to get no, it's movie okay. references. I'm going to just smile. I had to say, swim hook put it in the chat, so I had to do it. <laughs> yeah. So this guy, Gerald Maguire, he was a Wall Street guy, well connected. He was the commander of the American Legion, Connecticut. So mm-hmm. specifically, Connecticut American Legion. Uh, we have a photo of him. Yeet. Guy with a cigar, really skinny cigar. Yeah. Or, or he's got really fat fingers. <laughs> yeah, one or the other. It might be both. It kind of, I kind of think it's both. Yeah. Over the course of many visits and meetings with Smedley, McGuire tried to slow roll him into this plot. So he starts off by asking him to just give a speech that's already been written, give this pre written speech at the American Legion Convention. And he asks him to speak on removing the current American Legion leadership and also going back to the gold standard. Now, these two things are not things that Smedley was necessarily opposed to. Smedley didn't like the American Legion leadership. A lot of a lot of the veterans didn't feel like the American Legion leadership really cared about the veterans. They were more tied in with the elites. And so the idea of moving removing them didn't sound bad. And then. Smedley didn't really know much of anything about the gold standard, but he was trying to figure out 
what this, the big deal about it was. This concept is interesting because I feel like we see this a lot with like these false binaries in politics where it's like, mm -hmm. but these guys, they want the gold standard. Right. How can you oppose these guys? Right. right. It's like, well, they also want to install Hitler, essentially. Like they want right. to install Mussolini in the government. So it's like, I don't think anybody watching this show or anybody here is saying we should we should have gotten rid of the gold standard. I think everybody's behind the idea that that right. was like one of the worst things. One of the, my big, not the only reason, but one of the many reasons I think FDR is one of the worst presidents in American history. Right. Um, but the false binary of like, but but the other guys, they want the gold standard. So like they must be the good guys. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it, all the rich, all the rich fat cats at, at this time did not want to go off the gold standard. They didn't want an inflationary currency for obvious mm -hmm. reasons. And they were some of the only people in the country who were smart enough to like, like the bankers knew what going off the gold standard would mean. So the bankers were the first to oppose it. Like, of course they were. Now they just game the system and use inflation to get themselves right. rich. It's called right. modern monetary theory. They've, if you guys are interested, in it, I don't want to explain on the show because it's like over my head a little bit, right. but modern monetary theory is how they just use inflation to become stupidly rich and make you poor. Right. Yeah. But at the time, they did, they you know they hadn't come up with that yet, and mm -hmm. and they were really really not happy about the idea of going off the gold standard, and so alarm bells rang for Smedley because to him these two things didn't go together. He's like on the one hand you're pretending to care about the veterans, and, and you you want me to oust the American Legion leadership for the sake of the veterans, but on the other hand you want to go back on the gold standard, which he's. At this point, Smedley has so much associated the betrayal of veterans and, and the unwillingness to pay the bonuses out with people who are worried about money. So he's like, the people who are worried about the gold standard are the same people who don't want to pay veterans the bonuses. So why are they pretending to care about veterans? Why are they trying to hire me to do this thing? So he's really suspicious and as there are more and more meetings between him and McGuire, there are a lot of meetings between him and McGuire because McGuire takes a really long time to just lay out what he's trying to do. He really tries to like get Smedley to kind of commit and be in it. Mm -hmm. I think he really wanted him to like take one step and then take the next step and like each step would feel right to him yeah, yeah instead yeah. of laying the whole thing out, which is smart. But Smelly just didn't trust him. Uh, it was the skinny cigars. It, was, it had to be. Yeah. So the more the more Smedley pushed for info, the bigger and weirder and more suspicious the whole thing became. And it became clearer and clearer that there was a lot of money on the table. That the people who wanted him to give this speech and organize... Basically, they wanted him to not just oust the leadership of the American Legion, but take over the American Legion and then build up that 500,000 army of veterans from the American Legion. So, gotcha. you know, using that as a starting point. Mm -hmm. And the American Legion at the time was already kind of a an attempt to be a political voting block. Sure. Right. The idea like to to organize veterans so that they'll vote your way. So it was already doing that. And the idea was just to make it more that. Mm -hmm. So and it's sad. It's sad that Smedley was so convinced and he was probably correct. I think he was correct that the people who were worried about the gold standard were not actually did not care about the veterans. Right. Like. 
they were right, but they weren't good people. That was uh, my point earlier, right? Is yeah, like exactly. they have one thing where you can be like, yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, it doesn't make them the good guys for sure. Right. They offered him a lot of money to do this thing. And he did not want to betray the trust of of the veterans. All these, you know, he really deep, the Smedley deeply cared about about the World War One veterans, mm-hmm. and uh, he he really took his platform seriously, and he he turned down a lot of money, which is re- really quite impressive. Like I I don't agree with Smedley on a lot here, but it is really cool that he's just not willing to sell sell out in any way. Well, it's entirely possible for someone to be a very good person and, and mm-hmm. be very right on the things that he knows. Right. And then also just from some of the stuff I've looked into Smedley and some of the things he says, I'm like, I don't think he understands politics and I don't or think he understands economics. economics. Yeah. Right. So it's like, yeah. it's not that he's a bad person. It's just, that's not his field of expertise. Yeah. Yeah. So eventually Smedley pulls the whole thing out of McGuire. Um, does he like pretend to go along with it? Is that how he pulls it out? Is kind yeah, of how I had heard it explained. It's it's a little bit of both, right? Because he's mm-hmm. a lot of the. I feel like a lot of the meetings that he describes, he says no at the end of the meeting. He's right. like, absolutely not. And then McGuire just comes back as if nothing ever happened and starts pitching it again. So well, because they're not going to find a general who can organize right. that many people, right? It's like he's so well liked, yeah. and that's again what's so insane. This guy was so well liked that they believed and I think rightly so, mm-hmm. that a half a million veterans would back this guy right. if he said jump. And yeah. yet no one knows his name <laughs> outside of, uh, outside of, again, and the only reason this has been brought up, not by us, but in popular, in the media at all in the last few years is to just link it back to January 6th. Just make them look yeah. worse. Yeah. yeah. And the movie Amsterdam, which we both watched. Yeah, we should. Yeah, we'll talk about that at the end we too. Because yeah. Amsterdam is about this, but it's not about, the, it, I mean, Yeah, it's vaguely about this. It's vaguely about this. Okay. It's almost like Smedley Butler's like an incidental character <laughs> to a kind to a different of, movie. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. kind of a Forrest Gump way of handling it where it's like it's really about these three friends and then like in the background like the business plot happens. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a good way of, of putting it. Mm-hmm. Um the part that that gets glossed over when when people do cover this today is that it wasn't that Smedley was just going to become dictator. The In the plot, FDR was supposed to remain in office as the figurehead, like mm. the official president. But Smedley would be, they would create a title for him and he would be the dictator pulling the puppet strings. He would. Well, that's so how be, Hitler did it. And that's how they did it in Japan. Right. right. The, cha- the ch- you know, cha- what was it? Chancellor? Or, no. I don't remember. The president of Japan wasn't the, the guy with the power, right? And, and, and in in Germany, mm. originally, Hitler was not the, the leader. He right. was like right on. Yeah. Right. That's how a lot of these coups I, And Mussolini was the prime minister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's hard to remember some of this stuff because the governments are set up so differently than ours. And I'm right. trying to pull it off the top of my head. But yeah. That's how a lot of them worked, right? It's like it was he was the second guy in charge, but he was the real guy in charge. Real, real yeah. guy in charge. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it, it turns out that that in the middle of these meetings, so McGuire has a couple meetings with Smedley, and then in the middle, he he travels to Italy and to Germany to get a better idea of how Mussolini and Hitler had successfully risen to power and how the veteran groups in those countries had been a big part of that. And he's like doing more research, even as he's trying to recruit Smedley, into how this is done. 
And as this whole scandal comes out, McGuire is really open about how he wanted fascism in America. He's not but like hiding it at all. He's not hiding it at yeah. all. What he does deny is Smedley's <clears throat> story itself. Mm. So Smedley, Smedley kind of forces the hand of the committee. He starts saying stuff to the media such that the committee has to subpoena him and, and allow him to testify. Right. But they didn't actually want to. They knew about it. They knew about the plot, but they didn't they didn't want him to testify. Which should point to what's really going on by the end of yeah. this because just think about the, just to explain this to people like if you are the president and you find out that a, a, a powerful group of people were going to try to overthrow your government and take over, yeah. usually you'd want to prosecute those people and you'd want to shut it down. So the fact that it <laughs> yeah. seems they're kind of not at odds with each other by the end of this says a lot. It's real real weird. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, very different from the January 6th hearings, which were a yeah, total not media a, circus. Right. It's not like, um, oh, what's that prison in Cuba? Guanta- it's not like Guantanamo Bay yeah. gets set up in Washington, D.C., and the media look the other way, which is literally what has happened for, since January 6th, like this yeah. unconstitutional prison where people don't have lawyers or rights. Yeah. Yeah. But most of the business plot hearings were held in executive session, completely, completely secret, the only ones that the only parts of all of this that become available to the public were were parts of it that made Smedley look crazy. Mm. All his interactions with McGuire, um, the plot itself, like ju- you can't they, they let out just enough to be like, this is what we were having hearings on. Doesn't he sound like a loon? How, how often is this the case, though? How often is this the case where we hear somebody talk about something and they sound like a nutbag? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking recently, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, though I've talked about him before, the whistleblower for Area 51. When he was the whistleblower, right. Area 51 didn't officially exist. Mm-hmm. Then we found out it does. actually. It's actually a real place. Right. And then we hear David Grush say, yeah, all that stuff, man, it's driving me nuts. Somebody will have his name in chat. Um, it, it, all the stuff that that guy said in the 80s, yeah, no, we're now just openly saying this in front right. of Congress. Right. It, it's it, it's like this, right? At the time, it was this wild conspiracy theory, and now it's just complete fact. Well, my, yeah, but my point is, like, they let him speak because they mm-hmm. knew that if they published certain things he said and then mm-hmm. pretend and then never followed up on it, never yep. talked about it, right? If yep. it's in a vacuum, you know, if it's if it's one voice in a vacuum saying something that sounds crazy, yep. they've, they've uh, essentially impeached their own selves, right? You know, like th- their own testimony. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. So, turns out it was FDR himself, like personally, who made sure these hearings were kept private. The guy that was allegedly try like they were trying to overthrow, right, is also in the cover up. Like, imagine Biden trying to cover up January sixth. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's what <laughs> like, it would be like, right? What? Yeah. And and this whole thing, Bob Lazar. Thank you, Swim Hook. Yeah, I've never done a lot of research into Bob Lazar, other than like hearing that he some of the stuff he claimed. I don't know. Some people say he's been debunked. I want to look into it more deeply myself because it seems like a lot of the stuff that he said ended up being true. My point. Yeah, and and sometimes, sometimes with people like that, they are so desperate to get you to believe the thing that they know is true that they start lying around Mm. it to try to like bolster their story, and then that ends up 
making them even less believable. So I think a lot of times that's what happens. There's also the option that he was a liar on behalf of the, you know what I mean? Like, like I'm going to say the thing that's true and be a crazy person that's easy to debunk. So that way everybody Mm. thinks it's not true. Like we've seen that before too. That's, that's fair. So this whole thing. We have not gone deeply enough into Bob Lazar. Some future episode we will. Yeah, for sure. The whole thing was honestly similar to the Epstein case in the sense that it was a crime without criminals. This is what people like it, the media was right to point this out at the time. One of the things that they made fun of it for was like, there's this plot to overthrow the government, but there are no plotters. And there's no like, arrests. LOL. Yeah. Yeah. Like what? if it was real, like they would have arrested these people. Right. right? They're yeah. Like, what do you mean there was a coup? What are you talking about? Yeah. No one who was implicated was called to testify except for McGuire. So let's talk about who was implicated. This has mm-hmm. come out in the years in the years following. It took it took a while. <laughs> so Smedley of okay, this first guy was named directly, Robert Clark. In in that initial article, Smedley said that he met personally with Robert Clark, who's an heir to the Singer Sewing Machine Company. Right. Yeah. And then Clark named others. He named executives from the DuPont Corporation, including Irene DuPont. Um, In fact, according to Smedley, weapons and ammunition for this whole insurrection thing were supposed to be supplied by Remington, which at the time was owned by DuPont. Ah. And then there were various people associated with J.P. Morgan and his banking interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will come back to some more specifics on that, but <laughs> JP Morgan has a way of popping up in everything. Every, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Jekyll Island here. He's, he's always like kind of in it, pulling the puppet strings. It seems like definitely. And Thomas Mont was one of these associated with JP Morgan and his great grandson, Ned, became governor of Connecticut, Ned Lamont. So it's it's funny how you can, I mean, I guess you can say three generations, like you can overcome family disgrace, but there was and no family disgrace, you know? The, yeah, These people say, remained in power. It seems more to me like all of the powerful evil dirtbags of the early 20th century just so happened to have children who were like mm-hmm. pulling the puppet strings just publicly yeah, now. So weird. Right? Yeah. Another guy implicated was Grayson Murphy, who was a director of Goodyear Tire, Anaconda Copper, and Bethlehem Steel. Mm-hmm. The latter two especially profited a shit ton off World War One. Yep. And then there were two other strange ones, John Davis and Al Smith. Now, if you don't know who these people are, Peter, do you know who, this, who these people are? No, not off the top of my head, no? but I'm sure I'll, I'm sure when you name who they're huh. associated with, it'll make sense. <laughs> well, John Davis in 1924 was uh, the Democratic candidate for president. Oh, and Al Smith okay. in 1928 was the Democratic candidate for president. Of course. But I thought this was a right-wing fascist plot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm so confused now. Yeah. yeah, well, it's just yeah. like uh, you brought up Skull and Bones earlier, but it's like in the mm-hmm. twenty in the 2000 election, 
uh, it was John Kerry versus Bush, and they both were part of the same brotherhood. Kind of see this stuff happen a lot. Yeah, yeah. kind of kind of weird how that goes. So let's just resume the timeline for a little bit. See a little mm-hmm. bit of this fallout. The, the attempted coup itself happens in 1933, and then stalls I out. So, sorry, somebody's going to correct me. That was 2004. <laughs> 2000 was Al Gore. I know. I know history. Sorry. Everybody go ahead. Calm down. Calm down, guys. Calm down. Uh, <laughs> I was in Africa when that uh, Gore Bush fiasco with the hanging chads and all that yeah. happened. <clears throat> I remember sitting around the dinner table talking about it, about like what the president in our in our home country was going to be. It was kind of a weird moment. Anyway, the business plot stalls out when Smedley says, heck no. So I guess... The idea is because it went public, they stopped the plot. Yeah. Anyway, well, we can come back to that too. Did they? <laughs> Did they though? Uh, 1933. A lot happens this year, right? This mm-hmm. is also when FDR begins to push through New Deal policies. Now, if you if you don't know, a lot of times now all the time now we have these massive omnibus bills they have one title and everything just goes through at once but the new deal policies did not go through all at once they were piecemeal starting in 1933 right 1934 is when the hearings take place about the business plot and then shortly after the hearings are finished in 1935 mcguire dies suddenly of pneumonia at 36. At 36. Yeah. Dies dies suddenly. I think even, <laughs> even in Amsterdam, even in the movie Amsterdam, yeah. they totally don't buy this. They they totally show that, that this character was murdered. Yeah, they just basically come around and say it. It's like, yeah, yeah no, this guy was killed. No, Nobody actually thinks this guy died of pneumonia. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. He was Clinton, guys. <laughs> in 1935, a journalist named John Spivak does a deep dive on this and I have, it's, it's a very long article, but I just pulled out a couple things, quotes to read. So it's a little bit dark in here, but the, the headline is wall street's fascist conspiracy testimony that the Dickstein committee suppressed an organized conspiracy exists to seize the government by a fascist coup the Congressional Committee appointed to investigate just such activities has not only failed to follow the trail of evidence to its fountainhead, Wall Street, but has deliberately suppressed evidence pointing in that direction. A suggestion of the existence of Wall Street's fascist conspiracy was made public in November. The Dickstein community then was forced to call General Smedley D. Butler, one of those who made the charges, to testify, and that was the end of the committee's interest in proving the charges. The sup- Mm. Yeah, wow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very strong language here. Yeah, it is. <laughs> As, like, especially for a news article. I mean, this was <clears throat> this was back when like when people wrote news articles, they tried to like keep their opinions out of it. They tried to pretend to keep their opinions out of it. The suppression of evidence by the Dickstein committee reveals the committee's real character. With an ostensible mission to uncover fascist activities, the committee actually turned out to be a close collaborator with the would-be fascist rulers of the co- of the country. It covered up the conspiracy by suppressing evidence which led too high up in those financial and industrial groups which run Congress 
advise the president and dominate the country. I mean, he's talking about the deep state oh, like yeah. openly. Yeah. <laughs> Throughout, he's, talk, he's talking about it in a, in a way that is still true to this day, but I don't yes. think it's talked about enough where we think of the deep state rightfully. So in many cases as mm-hmm. the CIA, mm-hmm. I think that there are certain people who recognize it and others who don't, that the deep mm-hmm. state is really corporatist. It, it's like mm-hmm. these interests, these people who have all this money, how Bill Gates can get away with the things he does. Let's, you know, to put it that way, JP Morgan yeah. can get away with the things they've done supporting Nazis in world war two and, and the like. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's corporatism. It's, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a state ran by the corporations pretending to be a constitutional democracy with a free market system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's some more. Um, throughout its investigation of Nazis, fascists and communist activities, the committee has been careful not to involve certain financial interests such as JP Morgan and company Kuhn, Loeb and Company, etc. Felix Warburg, head of the Kuhn Loeb Banking House, virtually dominates it, as well as the American Jewish Committee, a powerful organization active in fighting the spread of anti-Semitism. Now, I'm not going to go much into it, but he does. He goes actually a lot in this in this article into kind of this weird tension where he's like, anti-Semitism bad, Nazis bad in part because of their anti-Semitism. And he's like, but there's all of these rich Jews in the United States who are supporting this stuff. And he's like wrestling with it throughout the article. Like, I think it's what a lot of like, people why, are still wrestling with though. You know what I mean? Right. Like when you think of, of the, uh, my gosh, why can't I get a family? <laughs> That's super, the, the family. The, Rothschilds? The, the Rothschilds, thank you. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Continue. All right. And then he gets into, and this is the last part I'll read, uh, the the 14 things. Mm-hmm. The 14 things he proves in in this. It's it's really like a short book or a, a long essay more than an article. Oh, j- j- really quickly, just because mm-hmm. I, w- I read the, the FBI files that, that brought up this oh, part. Yeah. It says that these were 14 things that were found in the committee that were not released to the public, correct? Or something um, like that? This is, this is what Spivak is alleging. This, this okay. journalist is, is alleging. The FBI file was interesting because it was mostly, we're not going to look into this. Here's a bunch of things journalists said. That was basically it. Okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, okay, so here they are. Number one. That the Dick Stein Committee refuses to explain why it suppressed evidence of fascist organization, uh, organizations and of fascist movements. Two, that the Dick Stein Committee knew of the offer made to General Smedley Butler to organize a fascist army of 500,000 men, but ignored this information until it was forced to call Butler. Three, that having called him, the committee issued a garbled statement of what he said and not until the National Fuhrer died down did it issue even parts of his testimony. That General Butler, for that General Butler named a fascist organization in which some leaders of the American Jewish Committee are active and that this testimony was suppressed. Five, that a Nazi agent worked in Warburg's Bank of Manhattan and that Felix Warburg was never called upon to explain how he got there. Six, that the Warburg financial interests have heavy instruments in investments in Nazi Germany, the American Jewish Committee has steadfastly opposed the boycott of German goods. 
Seven, that the most powerful fascist organizations are controlled by financiers whose interests are controlled by J.P. Morgan's interests. That the Warburg financial eight, that the Warburg financial interests are tied up with Morgan and consequently work with Morgan men. Nine, that Grayson and P. Murphy involved in the, in the plot to organize a fascist army is a Morgan man and one of those who originally financed the starting of the American Legion for big business and who supports disseminators of anti-Semitic propaganda and that knowing all this, the Dick Stein, the, um, the edge is a little yeah, bit yeah. blurry here. I can see it on mine. It says that the Dick Stein committee never called Murphy to explain his activities. Got it. Actually, yeah. can you read 10, 11, and 12 then? Because mine is kind of ripped off. I, I don't have 12 in front of me. Oh, <laughs> I'm no looking worries. at the FBI files and he left them out, but I'll read 10 and 11. Oh, so it says, because okay. uh, he he has the 14 points. He's like, here's the ones I find interesting. So he leaves them <laughs> So it says uh, that uh, Hearst man tied up with Morgan interests captured control of the American Legion which Butler was asked to lead as a fascist army and that this man summoned to appear before the Dickstein committee was never questioned after he had a secret conference with president Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. Now, this, Can I pause on 10? Cause this is the one that yeah. like stuck out to me so much from the files. So if you didn't, if you, if you're having trouble <laughs> keeping up a little bit, cause I know we're reading a lot of stuff here. What, what, what the last few points have all been about is that JP Morgan was super heavily involved in this, involved in buying out the Legion, involved in, in starting up the business plot and involved in paying for it. Yep. And that when you get to number 10, he says a Hearst man, if you're not familiar with Hearst, William Randall Hearst, the paper company guy, right? The guy who ran the newspapers, mm -hmm. the guy that uh, the movie Citizen Kane is all about. And then he just went on to destroy. I'm so blanking on names again tonight, guys. The guy who made Citizen Kane, he went on to try to destroy his life and destroy his movie. And that's why Citizen Kane wasn't recognized for the masterpiece it was at the time. Mm. Um, anyway, my point is this is a guy who going all the way back to the Spanish-American War has been accused of writing things in his newspapers, inflammatory things, lies and slander and libel in order to start wars to profit off of wars because it'll sell his newpapers <sighs> and J.P. Morgan profits off of wars uh, by financing, you know, the whole war economy. So like right, right here, you've got JP Morgan Chase and William Randolph Hearst working together. But the, the kicker is that uh, they had a secret confidence with conference with President Roosevelt and that nothing was, you know, like nothing happened to yep. your guy and n nobody knows what that was said. Yep. The oh, guy, Orson, again, Orson supposed, Wells. Orson Wells. Uh, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Swim hook. Swimhook's got all the answers. Swimhook Gosh. Does, Swimhook's either really knowledgeable or really good at Googling. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm going to try to read 11 and 12, but they are kind of ripped off at the edges here. I got 11. So it says that the American Liberty League was named by Butler and this fact suppressed by the Dick Stein Committee. The league is controlled by Morgan DuPont interests as well as having Wahlberg. Warburg, sorry. Yeah. Warburg. It, because it yeah. was like scanned, some of the words don't show up. Yeah. Warburg representation on it. The American Liberty League, uh, part of this plot was supposed to be this kind of front organization where. I did forget my focus gel. guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really bad at taking um, my, my stuff on time. Go ahead. Um, the American Le Liberty League was supposed to be the media front of, of the veteran army. Mm -hmm. So the thing that would like whitewash them right. and there were people who were signed onto the American Liberty League who we can't directly prove that they knew that the league was going to be used as a front for the army. 
but like including like the Heinz ketchup family and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I didn't, I didn't really pull them in because they weren't really implicated. They just happened to be part of this leak, but the leak sure. comes up a bunch here. Okay. Um, but ostensibly the leak itself was fine. <laughs> Liberty. Ostensibly. Literally li- Liberty leak. Okay. 12 that the Remington arms company controlled by Morgan DuPont was named as the body, which would supply arms and equip and equipment to the fascist army and that this testimony was suppressed by the congressional committee 13 that max warburg brother of felix and directors of the steel trust of germany which originally financed hitler are in the united states trying to get credits for hitler's government in copper purchases yikes read that last part again (sighs) okay that max warburg brother of felix and directors of the steel trust of germany which originally financed Hitler, that these two brothers are in the United States trying to get credits for Hitler's government in copper purchases. It's almost as if there are a bunch of wealthy elites who Mm. figured out that they could profit a ton off of war Uh and they're just going around funding war. See, this is the other theory I have on World War I that it's never been like fully like delved into Mm -hmm. is that it was just started by a bunch of rich people to make money and that's why it doesn't Mm -hmm. make any freaking sense. Honestly, it kind of seems like it. We'll cover this in a future episode, but there is a letter, a supposed letter by... um, by that uh, 33rd degree Freemason that wrote a book, uh, Albert mm-hmm. Pike. There's a supposed letter from Albert Pike where in 1875, he lays out a plan for all three world wars. And I, I haven't looked into it if it's like proven as a fake Yikes. or if it's real, but it's it, like the way he lays it out, it's like, mm. if it's yeah. real, it's like, yeah, it makes sense, right? That these people are doing things intentionally to cause these these great wars and right. gain control and gain money and, and power. And I'm not going to go right? so far, and we, we can talk about this toward the end too, but like, I'm not, that's not to say that World War II wasn't necessary, right? Because it seems like whatever was set in motion in World War One, whether or not that was contrived, by the time we hit World War II, it is absolutely imperative that we fight whatever this force of evil is. Well, of course, but like that doesn't even change the the facts, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's say a powerful group puts someone like Hitler in power and they're like, well, we caused it. What are you going to do? Not kill Hitler? Right. You know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't change point. the, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it doesn't right. change the necessity of us to fight back. I just think that, you know. Right. They cause, the, they enable the bad thing to happen. And so that we have, we have to, fight, to it. fight it, right? Exactly. Because the yeah. UK government like freaking sponsored Hitler in his early days. Yeah. And then, sorry, 14, the Hearst copper interests were among those being considered at the time Hearst opened his anti-red campaign. That's the end Mm -hmm. of that. Okay, so according to this reporter, John Spivak, he's convinced that Morgan is the absolute kingpin of the whole thing. He's convinced that J.P. Morgan is the guy Mm -hmm. behind it. Um, I think his theory is as good as any. I don't think anyone else has actually even put forward a theory as to like if there was a a number one instigator. Mm-hmm. The other thing he points out and really like shows examples and proves in this long article is that it wasn't just that there were pieces of the testimony that were released or excluded. It's that like they would... A- there would they would ask Smedley a question, Smedley would answer it, 
and they would only include half his answer and then move on to the next comment, redact it without actually showing that anything was redacted to make the conversation seem very different. It's a selective editing Mm -hmm. that's really, really deceptive. And they did it over and over with what they released. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, it just shows that like lying by omission is as powerful as or more powerful really than uh, just outright lying, uh, right? Yeah, because you yeah. think you can believe your eyes and your ears in that situation, but well, also like let's can't. say you can back up a fact, right? But that fact is set in a way like out of context that makes it seem like it's the opposite mm-hmm. of what it is, right? Like that's a more powerful lie because yeah. when you look at the source, like oh well, that, that that's true, right? So like, yeah, yes, it's how media it's how media gets away with it. It's how fact checkers can say fact check true. You know, even though it's a lie, ultimately. Yep. Um, I'm lost. Okay. In 1935, Smedley writes this little book pamphlet thing. It's very short. It's like a 40-minute audio book called War is a Racket. So he writes this. It doesn't include any information about the business plot at all. Like mm. he writes a whole book and doesn't talk about this thing. But what he does do is talk about how rich people in the United States profited off the war while veterans suffered. So a big thing that stood out, and he's right about so much in this in this book, he, he points out that it's it's not that he's saying it's bad for somebody to provide a necessary thing in war and like be paid fairly for it, right? Right. It's that there were inefficient there were gross <clears throat> inefficiencies. There were there were rich men who did not care that the government was wasting money so long as it went into their own pockets. And he this goes into so detail true about that. To this day. Yeah. 100%. But those same people were those <clears throat> that fought against paying the veterans their bonuses. Out of, oh, no, we can't overspend. You know, we can't afford it. Oh, no. So people, just really quickly, people on, on Rumble are saying they're having trouble with the stream tonight. So, again, we'll, we'll stay oh, on yeah. YouTube for the for the rest of the, the show, including the, the normal Rumble section. If you guys want to watch this there, please like the stream. Please continue to support us on Rumble. Again, like, we know when our YouTube's going to be gone. It could happen at any point. Um, Rumble's still going through some growing pains, but we've seen a lot of great things come out of them. They got like a new UI on, on uh, Android and iPhone this week. So yeah. again, we, we're always going to be on the side of Rumble as, as long as they continue to be on the side of free speech and let us do what we have to do. Uh, but we understand sometimes things happen. So if you need to switch over yeah. to YouTube, we'll stay there the whole time for tonight. So is uh, It's the Republican debate probably. Oh, server. shoot. That's tonight, isn't it? That's why. We're always going up against that. Why Why are people watching it? Who, yeah, who cares? Who cares? Well, well, I saw last time I saw uh, a recap of it. It was a video called Six Retards Fighting. <laughs> um. <laughs> hey, I'm no. rooting for the guy who's in the skull and bones because I think he's got a good shot. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. This is, my, oh. this is my whole position on Ron DeSantis. He has a chance of winning because he's in a evil secret society that's probably true <laughs> yeah everybody's trying to count him out it's like nah he's got skull and bones power behind him. we'll see what happens in iowa guys yeah exactly exactly <sighs> never know yeah <laughs> all those dominion votes come in <laughs> oh no <laughs> i'm gonna be right about this and really pissed about it too 
Um, yeah, people. Yeah, hold on. Answered Sater, Sater has this right. He says, "Who cares about the debate? Abby and PJ are expounding on government corruption. Why would you go watch a bunch of corrupt politicians lie to you? You can listen to us tell you the truth about the government. So and their corruption. true. So, so much true. better. <laughs> okay, so this, if you're interested in in the whole concept of war profiteering, people profiting off both sides of the war, people people kind of being opportunistic with the government and, and making more money than they should off of contracts. War is a racket is a quick read. And I, I do recommend it to kind of understand where Smedley's coming from. And, and he, you can tell he has a lot of regret for his role in his, cause he looks back on his whole service and he's like, yeah, I was just a, I was just a thug for the capitalists. Mm. And I mean, that's, that's difficult to live with if you, if you feel that way. Well, another, you know, big strong point that he made was that soldiers used to be paid prior to the civil war. Soldiers used to get a portion of the, the plunder. And so they, they they were, they more directly profited off the war. Right. And, and that was a more just system. And, and then in the civil war, I think it was just very much encouraged not to plunder because it was a civil war and, you know, like sure. it was this kind of a different case. And so they instituted this whole like thing with metals. And so instead of fighting for plunder, you're fighting for really basic pay and metals. Yay. <laughs> Yay. And then that's, that's kind of how it stays. This American soldiers don't ever get to profit off war again. Instead, it's the men who never go to war who stay at home, those are the people who make a lot of money off war and the people who go over and get blown up, they don't. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, we saw the war memorials in uh, in Washington, D.C. It's the lowest ranking members of the military who are up there more than anybody else, right? The people who get paid nothing. Yeah. People get yeah. paid $26,000 a year while the government wastes three or $4,000 on a Colt M4, which for any of the gun people out there, uh, a Colt M4 is not worth $500. <laughs> like the fact that they pay $3,000 for a Colt M4 is because people are profiting immensely mm -hmm. off the government, giving them way too much money for a piece of crap weapon. I have a $1,500 AR-15 I built myself and it kicks the shit out of anything I've ever, any M4 I ever shot in the military. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like they're, they're, they are taking huge, huge cuts from, from junk weapons. Yeah. There's so much waste. Yeah. Um, and, and Smedley talks about quite a, quite a few specific examples of of waste. Mm -hmm. Okay, 1938 is when FDR completes pushing through all the New Deal stuff. Mm -hmm. And I I want to point this out because I think it's this is if you need if you need evidence that this actually happened, uh, I think this is the strongest evidence that it that it did. Even though no one was named and no one went down for it. This is why no one went down for it. FDR has backdoor meetings and all the people on Wall Street who had been opposing going off the gold standard and been opposing the New Deal, all of a sudden, he gets it through. Yeah. So it seems like he goes, look, you can go down for treason or you can support my bill. Yep. And I'll, I'll keep it quiet. I'll hush it up. 
it's mutually beneficial, right? It's like, right. hey, you guys have the will of this block of the American people. You have military might that you could weaponize against me, mm-hmm. or you can shut the fuck up. You can profiteer mm-hmm. and support what I'm doing. We can all become rich and corrupt together. Yep. That's what happened. Yep. And the very next year, World War II uh, officially begins as we date it in hindsight, but the U.S. doesn't accept that for a little bit while longer. Smedley mm-hmm. dies in 1940, probably of cancer. Um, I don't think that there's anything suspicious about his death. And probably shortly, would happen sooner if there was something suspicious, right? Like sooner I than think so. Like he was also fairly old, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was getting up there. Yeah, uh, he wasn't very old, but especially for the time period, somebody who had time period, a war veteran, exactly. Yeah. been gassed before, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> Uh, shortly after he died, France surrendered to Hitler. So he, he really does die right on the cusp of World War II. In 1942, this is just a random other thing, right? Yep. Several corporations owned by or associated with Prescott Bush had their assets seized under the U.S. Trading with the Enemy Act. He was, so picture this. Prescott, who has not been named or implicated at any at any point in all of this, it, he's a Wall Street guy at the mm-hmm. time, and he is caught actively trading with and helping German interests. But he he was probably not involved in the in the business plot at all. Right. Yeah. Except that he, def- he definitely was. <laughs> right. Like y- y- you don't have we don't have a direct link with him, but everything about his positioning and what he was actively doing, actively working on um, his fascist sympathies. It, it seems pretty clear that he was part of this group. Yeah. Yeah, but here's the thing. It's like you can look. I believe he was. I think most people who look into this believe he was. Yeah. Uh, when you look at all of the people as a as a as a whole who were involved in it, you mm-hmm. brought up Bohemian Grove earlier. It seems like a perfect place to organize something like this. Probably, mm-hmm. probably it had its origins there. Um, it's a lot of conjecture, but you can look at who benefits. You can look at who, like you said, stopped talking about the gold standard all of a sudden, right. who got away with selling weapons to the Nazis, who got away with yep. war profiteering or war profiteering and all the others. And it seems pretty clear what happened here. And the yep. worst part about it is this is something that absolutely should have been public hearings. This is abs- something where people should have absolutely gone down for treason mm-hmm. and corruption should have been sorted out in our government and the corporatist system. But instead, my belief is mm-hmm. um, FDR was probably the single biggest factor in turning America from some type of uh, free market constitutional republic, whatever was left of it by the right. time he got there. Because I'm not saying it hadn't already been chipped away at that point. It had. But uh, it seems like that was the last time. I don't. I've I've said this for years. I don't believe we've been a anything close to a free market or anything close to a constitutional republic since FDR. It's just it's yeah, just a I show. Agree. It's just a I shell. Agree. It just pretends to be a thing, right? And the people who could have stopped him were too busy pursuing their own personal interests to do it. And the people who could have stopped him wanted to install a Hitler-like person instead. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like sometimes you look at politics and history right. and you're like, wow, everybody sucks. Right. Because they wanted to make the trains run on time. They liked how Mussolini yeah. made the trains run on time. That's what they wanted yeah. for their profits. That's all they cared about. 
They didn't have morals. I, I think when when you have people you have who have the power to make change, but they have absolutely no morals, it doesn't matter what side they're supposedly on. Like, like most of these guys were ostensibly conservative, but not really. Right. Or they would have stopped it. So 1942 is when Prescott Bush has his assets seized, but nothing else happens to him. Like he gets to keep his money. It's just that his couple of his corporations get their assets seized, right? Right. Ten years later, he becomes a U.S. senator. Gotta love it. I'm he. He's actively aiding the Nazis. Like he ran literal a shipping, tre- literal yeah. treason. Yeah. He ran a shipping line that was like paying people to travel to Germany and come back and say good things about it Mm -hmm. like he was actively like such such traitorous activities um his his father-in-law herbert walker who his hw is named after was got him into this business like herbert walker was doing this and then he was like if you're gonna marry my daughter you're gonna come be part of this Nazi thing. So, I mean, I guess you could maybe make an argument that he was just doing what he was told, but at some point he's a grown up and makes his own decisions. And yeah. Yeah. So what you're saying is if you, if you are a traitor to the United States, you can become a Senator whose son becomes the leader of the CIA and then the uh-huh. president, and then his son becomes the president. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. Just want to make sure. Yeah. His son, H.W. Bush, who was like the only person in America who doesn't remember where he was when FDR was shot. No, JFK. But <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Yes. That one. The, the other the other one with the initials. Yep. The other one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like he doesn't remember where he was when JFK was shot. Not suspicious at all. Not suspicious at all. Yeah. Was part of the CIA that we should we just need to do a whole. We have to do an episode on it for sure. Okay, we are to the discussion topics. Yeah. Smedley's political flip. I think you... I I think Smedley's a, a pretty decent person. Like, I think he had a pretty decent heart. I think he was really stupid about certain things. But in, in, in a lot of ways, politics was for Smedley just what things personally impacted him. Like, right. he didn't... He didn't really care. It's a single about, issue like, voter. Let's put it that way, right? Like yeah. he's like, who's gonna support the veterans and the veteran right. causes the most? He didn't. He didn't care what the country paying out the bonuses would mean for the whole country. Mm-hmm. He just cared about getting the money to the veterans in that exact moment. He didn't care if the country had the money. He didn't care if the country went off the gold standard. He didn't care about any of the potential concerns. Right. And I can understand why he had just watched the country waste a crap ton of money on on war stuff and, and letting and people work. Crappy work programs and all the others. Yeah. Yeah. So I can understand why he why he flipped, but that's always gonna be a problem when you have standards right up until I've met conservatives. I remember there was a family growing up. They were super conservative. They didn't, you know, they they didn't believe the government shouldn't be involved in anything. But they were on a, a form of government handout. And I was like, what? Libertarians on food stamps. Yeah. Yeah. No, it doesn't make I'm like, sense. how do you square that? And he's like, they're like, yeah. well, as long as this program exists, might as well benefit from it. And I'm like, then you're the problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, there are so many people who will 
stand for something right up until it affects them personally. And then they're like, yeah, well, but I want student, my student loan forgiven. So they can, they can do that thing. Yeah. Okay. The big one was the business plot actually a fascist coup. And I want to show an image here that I worked really, really hard to create for you guys. This, this graphic I worked super hard on. A lot of people, especially especially right now, we talk about this left-right spectrum as if if you go too far left, you get communism, right? right. And if you go too far right, you, you get fascism. And I don't think that this is true at all. I think this is a misunderstanding of what right-wing values are because right-wing values are like that liberty from government. I, so I think if you go too far right, what you get is anarchy. This middle, this middle Agreed. spectrum. Yeah. And, and then that begs the question, like, where does fascism fall? And I think that what happens is you, you go, you reach a point of no return um, in the, we want the government to control things direction. And then it's a matter of in what way do you want the government to control things? Do you want it to be a communism way where you're going to pretend it's the will of the people and everything's being redistributed and you're going to pretend there are no elites or are you going to go the direction of fascism where you're going to not pretend that there are no elites and you're going to idolize your elites and you're going to, you're going to do the hero worship thing and you're going to really support. They this. both end up the same way though, right? Like we right. still see, it's, we saw the hero worship the same to this the day. day. Yeah. In Russia to this day, like Stalin has got hero worship, right? Communism. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's the same I feel like right now the the problem we're seeing with the left right paradigm that that people are misunderstanding. I think actually Michael Knowles pointed this out years ago, mm-hmm. and everybody just kind of ignored it. Where he said the alt right is not right wing. The alt right, by definition, is an alternative alt right. to the right. To the right. The left is yeah. an alternative to the right. And in fact, just per, on a personal level, and and others just reading a lot of things and following a lot of politics, the alt right people have historically been been left wing there mm-hmm. the story is always i supported the left until they did this thing that i don't like right. and now i will support something that is the same but different and i'll call it right wing mm-hmm. but it's not and the reason and the biggest reason i know this is because the alt right has just so comfortably slipped into finally admitting in many cases you can see this with people like nick fuentes and and, and yeah. like that where they're kind of just now admitting that they're socialists like yeah. i've had so many conversations with these people where i thought even though I knew I disagree with them on certain things, I thought that they were free market capitalists, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh no, we are socialists, and it's brown shirts versus red shirts all over again. I'm like, but none of this is none of this is right. conservative. None of this is right wing in any tangible way. It's just I don't like current left wing politician, current left wing ideology. Therefore, I am an alternative. It doesn't make sense, yeah. right? It's not. It's not the straight line that we've all been sold. Right. Yeah. And populism also is not conservative conservatism. It's a lie to say it's a lie to say if you go too far right you're going to accidentally become fascist. But what the left is correct about when when they look at the populist movement is that that when you take it too far can become fascist. A populist movement taken too far starts to not support somebody as a presidential candidate anymore, but to support them as a 
king or a dictator or well, what a was her let's face? just Caitlin Bennett that, that, that mm-hmm. sold the t-shirts. Trump isn't my president. He's my king. Yep. I mean, yeah. we're, we are seeing like the left wasn't wrong. And in some ways they created it right. In some ways the left said, this is what, you, this is what you are. And the right was like, okay, we will be cause you don't the like right- it. A lot of good conservatives got duped by people who claim to be against the left. This is what I said years ago about the whole big tent idea is like, we need a bigger tent. We need to bring in all the people who disagree with us on every important tangible issue, but they don't like Biden or they don't like Hillary and therefore they're my friend. And it was such a stupid concept. There's a funny uh, comment in the, in the chat here. I want to bring up yeah. that. I think it's nonsensical as it sounds. I'm going to, I, I want to make sense of this for a second. Yes. <laughs> Nick Fuentes also says it's gay to like women. This is so fascinating because this this one stupid quote from him sums up his philosophy so well. Pretty much. Because because think about this. What Nick Fuentes is saying in this in this sentence is being gay is wrong, but it's also gay to like women too much. <laughs> and the reason that sounds stupid is because it's stupid. But the reason that it sums up Nick Fuentes so well is because what he'll also say is the left wing is wrong. And also all of the conservative values are equally as wrong as the left wing. And he says this so openly all the time that I don't know how people still conflict him with right wing. And I think he's duped a lot of really ignorant yeah. people. And I feel like a lot of people who follow, who, who are never conservative or right wing in the first place, right. who lined up with people like Nick Fuentes have just kind of been given a pass by so many people on the right wing because they're worried about the voter turnout. They're worried yep. about this and that and the other. And, and it's, the big idea- tent stuff. it's big tent stuff. The idea that like no enemies to the right, right? The idea that you can never criticize someone on your own side is. But then all I have to say they're on your side. That's why it's so it's so retarded. But you can't say you're the good guys if you never hold your side to a standard. If 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 there is no moral standard to the side you're on, as long as people are on your side, then you can't you can't call yourself the good guys. There's no moral standard you're anyone's being held to. People took, people took, um, and I like Breitbart, Andrew Breitbart, not the mm-hmm. corporation that's become. I like a lot of things Breitbart did. I have plenty mm-hmm. of disagreements with him. I'm not saying that. But people took his standard of never criticize anyone on your own side, and mm-hmm. they it was his worst quote thing yep. he ever believed. Yep. Um, I think it was coming out of a place, kind of like what Smedley said. And I want to get back to what Smedley said in that in that clip in a second, mm-hmm. where it, I don't think he had foresight into what that would actually turn into. Yes. Um, Because what he was saying is we're nitpicking people on our side when the people on the other side are doing horrendous things. Right. That is where Breitbart was coming at it from. It's just been weaponized in the worst possible way. By the way, shout out to Badman Elite. I saw him over on YouTube a second ago going like, why is the chat dead? We we purposefully don't push YouTube. We really use YouTube as a way to hopefully get people to come over to Rumble. So you did. So please follow us here. Thank you. Again, our YouTube channel could be gone any moment. We just... YouTube's our side bitch, okay? Like, we yeah. don't care about YouTube. Uh, everybody treats, like, the actual free speech platforms like, oh, I guess I got to go there. And we've just done it the opposite from the beginning. So. Yeah. Um, okay. The other thing I think that gets confused in the whole fascism thing is the role of capitalism. And I told you I wanted to come back to this because Smedley was really coming That's out what against I was, capitalism. Yeah. yeah. And it's a it's a misunderstanding of what capitalism is and i think the problem is that what happens is a rich elite person will do a bad thing and mm. then when you say hey that was a bad thing um that's not fair that's not right 
they say, well, it's capitalism. It's not. It's um, corporatism. It's it's exerting. It's being rich and exerting more control over the government than you should be exerting. It's yeah. um, it's monopolies. It's it's stuff like that. Using the power of your money in a way that is not just crony crony capitalism is another word right. for it. Yeah. And and we have laws in our country against these things. It's just that they're not enforced. Um, they're. The structure, people are like, the system is broken. The system allowed for this. No, the system is fine. It It's the people that didn't have the courage to do anything about it when these people got so rich and powerful and started to do this stuff. I, I think there's two, I think there's two really good points to be made here. And that one is exactly what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Like anytime anyone our age, especially and younger is like capitalism has failed us. I'm like, well, we haven't tried cap. We haven't tried capitalism in a hundred years. Like, to be honest, like it's just an ignorance of history. And real it's what I've been trying. <laughs> it's not the real capitalism that I've ever tried, which is, I knew the joke you're going to make. <laughs> it's that we are just not a capitalist country. We just right. haven't been for a very long time. Right. I've been trying for years to point this out to people. I'm like, everything that you think that you don't like about capitalism mm-hmm. is all the ways we've socialized and corporatized our system, right? right? Like we've created oligarchies. We've cr- w- done every bad socialist thing mm. up to just becoming a full-on socialist country like Canada. Um, but, but it's like all the things you're complaining about. You're like, I don't like this thing. I don't like that these essentially oligarchs have this much power and they can influence these things. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's not capitalism though. Like I actually, and, and th- this is actually a, a problem with like the whole left-right paradigm is people on the right then get a knee-jerk reaction to defend the bad thing. Right. Because the left called it capitalism. Yep. And that That's leads the problem. me. Exactly. It's one of the big problems. It leads me to my second point on this, though, which is an, an, a big pet peeve of mine is like the idea that capitalism in and of itself is the greatest good is stupid. It's a worship of, of, of money, right? Mm-hmm. It's, 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 I'm trying to think of who said that. This might be Michael Knowles again. Um, that the whole, probably it is. I like Michael Knowles. I don't care. He's good. He's good. Uh, he's good. <laughs> so, um, it's this idea. Oh, I lost my. <laughs> it's um, it's that capitalism without uh, any morality at all is is not really is not really a greater good, right? Like, mm-hmm. if, if you divorce all moral considerations from capitalism, you let it be. Whoever has the most money gets to control the most things and become the most powerful and do whatever the hell mm-hmm. they want in government. I mean, that is corporatism anyway. But like, that is not that is not the ultimate good, right. right? Like we have to have a greater good. We have to have a moral, you have to have a moral foundation for mm-hmm. a system like capitalism to actually be as good as it can be. Right. We've lost the moral foundation. We've actually moved into corporatism. These are all the reasons that people hate capitalism and want to move further into the thing they hate, which is actually a form of socialism. And they just, they don't yes. get it. Yeah. Like they don't realize that the farther they go into that, the more power the elites have to fuck them over. Not less. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, as evidenced by what FDR did to, did to the veterans, right? Like as, Smedley yep. trusted in him to, to look out for his interests and he did not. As evidence of what happened during COVID, right? right? Like people were like, oh, these, these evil corporations. I'm like, who's mm-hmm. making, who, who, who gets to stay open during COVID, right? Like right. all of your mom and pop shops get shut down, but Amazon gets to stay open and Walmart gets to stay open and McDonald's gets to stay open. Yeah. Sounds like, sounds like there's some winners and losers being picked by the government. Which does not sound very capitalist. Yep. Doesn't sound like a free market to me. Yeah. At the end of the day, all the all the little regulations hurt the little the little things way more than Walmart. Walmart will will support uh, corporations like Walmart will support 
all these little regulations that nickel and dime small businesses because they know that it will kill their competition. They are lobbying the government to kill their competition for them instead of competing with them in a free market. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, next question. Why isn't the business plot taught in schools to smash kids over the head with fascism bad? Uh, cause I, well, do you want my opinion? It's yes, because please. they would have to be honest about <laughs> the fact that it's not as clearly right wing, left wing capitalism, you know, yeah. any honest look at this, you would say, oh, this is not the clear cut, um, mm. uh, to bring up the movie, um, Amsterdam version of the events, right? It's not right. that it's, it's more like, I think, I think ultimately at the end of the day, you would have to honestly look at this and go, oh, FDR work, who's their God, by the way, like in public schools, mm -hmm. like if you just listen to what the public school teachers will tell you, FDR was the greatest president we've ever had in the history of ever. Yeah. Uh, and they'd have to go, oh, yeah, that guy was dirty. He he worked with all of these awful people and turned our country into something that it shouldn't have been. Yeah. So they can't get away with it unless they can quickly say, here's a few facts that work to make January 6th and the Republicans look bad. Don't look at it any further, though. Right. And if they did it in school, I feel like, you know, they wouldn't be able to get around that. People would start to want to educate themselves on it. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Is that what you were going to say? Because that's like, yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. Yep. They, they don't want to introduce a topic that they don't want you to know about because ultimately they don't want you to know about it. They don't want you to look into it because, and I think this is like even the deeper thing that you didn't say. Uh, last question is, has it all been... Bohemian Grove, Jekyll Island Club, Skull and Bones, etc. This whole time. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. It. You've got a whole group of people who have an incredible amount of power, and they know they have a lot of power. They're not. They're not scared that they got caught. Like their plot was so freaking sloppy, mm -hmm. and yet they get caught, and oh no, they have to let the New Deal in. They hinged their entire plot on the fact that this one guy had a lot of social influence. Yeah. And if they couldn't corrupt this one guy, their plot fell apart. And that's exactly what happened. There is yeah. some, there is a silver lining to this, even though in the end, right? Like FDR gets away with the, you know, yeah. sorry, not that he imposed the plot, but he gets away with all his bad stuff right. and he, he forgives all he works with and they all benefit off the corruption together, right? The left and the right and the fascists and the communists mm -hmm. and the this and that and the other, right? Like, cause at the end of the day, their ideologies are money. I think that's mm -hmm. the thing that, that Amsterdam got exactly right is like in that movie, they're like, at the end of the day, they're going to fight the Nazis and they're going to pay, right. they're going to benefit off of that too. Like they don't, right. they don't care. They don't act. Yeah. Uh, some of them might've been true believers. They kind of made singer out to be a true believer. At least I think that's who it was supposed to be in the movie. They, they the changed the names, guy, yeah. but I think he was a singer sewing machine guy, um, which I haven't looked into that closely but i think they were saying he's a true believer in the nazi stuff and his wife's in the vril society which i found <laughs> super interesting that movie is that it's movie's wild. really interesting like i i recommend it as a good movie and as an interesting take on all of this i don't think it's right about everything but it is it gets a lot of things right in a really interesting way even even if you put all that aside it's just a enjoyable it's just a good movie movie for sure yeah. But yeah, I think that's a thing at the end of the day, right? Like we talk about this Bohemian Grove where people are like, this is a purely right wing thing. And it might be, you know, like that to a degree. Mm. But when you look at the guests, I'm like, it kind of points us to the fact that a lot of these people just put on a show, right? Yeah. Like they don't believe the thing that they say they believe. They it just know that like, that's the thing that's going to work in their district. It seems like there's 
there's no left wing and right wing at the top. It's just elites who will say they value one thing or another thing, depending on what audience they're courting. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, sorry, we, I know you probably want to go over the rumble chat in a minute and look at memes Mm -hmm. and all that stuff, but there was one thing that Smedley Butler said in that um, video we played earlier. And I'm just, I just want to replay this really quick because I said earlier, I think he's wrong. And I I think it's probably, I'll just play a little bit of it it. and it'll be here. Do it. I want to retain the right to vote. I have the right to speak freely and the right to write. If we maintain these basic principles, our democracy is safe. That was it. That was it. He Mm. said, if we maintain these basic principles, our democracy is safe. And it's not that he's not thinking correctly per se. It's just a lack of foresight that I'm not blaming him for not having. Right. But the idea, like it goes back to this idea with the gold standard, right? These rich people thought if we get rid of the gold standard, we're screwed. And then they found a way around it, right? Like they found a way to use fake money, you know, digital fake money to make themselves rich, modern monetary theory and a million other schemes, right? And what he's saying is if we maintain these basic things, we'll stay a free country. And I think what he's missing is that eventually the elites would find ways to make you think you have free speech, make you think that you have the right to vote, make you think that you're in a free country. Mm -hmm. And the more that people will stand up and go, you know, rah, 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 America's great, freedom, I love freedom, 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 Mm -hmm. while their rights are just being flushed down the toilet. Freedom, we need the Patriot Act, freedom, you know, like that kind of bullshit. Uh, the more that they could slip into uh, a, a semi, you know, uh, essentially a socialist country in, in all but yeah. name. Yeah. Uh, the, and then the just pe- have people going patriotism, rah, 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 freedom, Patriot I Act, mean, freedom, rah, rah, rah. This is, this is something that the left is also like correct to be worried about is that, that patriotism as a cover for things is, is what happened in Italy and what happened in Germany, like that intense nationalism. Mm hmm. Too much of a good thing. <laughs> it's good to love your country, but yeah. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. So all good stuff. Very interesting stuff. So yeah, this has, this was our most hinged episode in over Super a year of hinged. doing this podcast. I feel so awkward. I feel it was like our I most political say one too, but it was our most hinged one as well. <laughs> I gotta um, say something crazy to yeah. make it make sense. Port- Nephilim portal babies. <laughs> 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 hey. Listen, guys, listen, guys, Dolce base underground alien bio lab next week on <laughs> next conspiracy pill. We're going to, that's fix not a this. joke. We're going <laughs> to fix this. We're going to be talking about aliens and underground <laughs> lizard people and human, uh, alien hybrid babies, all, all, all kinds of crazy shit happening in yeah. New Mexico. So if you thought this show was getting a little too hinged and a little too on the sane side of things, we'll just bring yeah. you, we'll just drag you back down into our world. It's going to be wild guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> answered Seder with a $5 rumble rant says too many hinges on this episode. Don't worry. We're, I'm we're so fix sorry. It, guys. We're I knew fix I was going to, I knew I was going to screw this one up. <laughs> we're going to fix it. guys. <laughs> you didn't um, screw up. This was good stuff. Um, um, yeah, let's, let's go to the rumble chat. Let's, Singer sewing machine, red mercury conspiracy. I hope this is a ooh. thing. <laughs> All the red mercury, mercury stuff is so cool until you look into it. And then it's like nothing. There's nothing. I know there. it's either, it it's either so true that they've buried it better than any conspiracy ever, or it's complete or it's bullshit. Yeah. I just don't know. Yeah. Uh, yes. Let's go over to rumble really quickly. Five star reviews. If you guys want to support the show for free and help us out, five star reviews is the best way to do it. We got two of them here today. We have one from ape bull 18 that says, Awesome. Greatest podcast ever. 
Love that you guys love Jesus. Keep up the great work. Aww, thank thank you, you for that. We also have Ablesit that says informative and fun podcast, except for the, except for the bad language. I <laughs> I really I really enjoy your content, but I don't understand why you cuss. Please consider not cussing your podcast. It seems inconsistent with your Christian values. Please don't think I'm trying to be mean or insulting. I really like you guys, just not the bad language. Thanks for the information that you share. We get this sometimes. We get this um, kind of a lot. Yeah, this is kind of a lot. Do you have anything you want to? It, yeah. There's actually not anything in the Bible that says you, that says any, like the verses about swearing are about swearing oaths. And if you look at the context, it's really clear that that's what it's about. Um, uh, using a, a word, this is just my opinion, but using a word that, is is kind of an excla- just an exclamation mark. It's a pow. It's a marker. I think for yeah. I, I look. I agree with Abby. I think some people will disagree, and that's fine. And we can mm-hmm. have that conversation. For My sure. thing is we've never we've never we've said this from the beginning. Well, I'll say this again and again and again. We've marked our shows explicit and everything else. Yeah. It's it's that we've never intended for the show to be for kids because we can't make a show about sex cults and mm-hmm. adrenochrome and. Yeah. Epstein and all of the really dark things that we get into this up in, in this show mm-hmm. for kids anyway. Um, right. So, you know, well, I try not to do it too much. It sometimes, sometimes I think that it is, I think that it is a, a, a tool that mm-hmm. needs to be used sometimes for emphasis. That's just my opinion. I, yeah. I understand we have disagreements, um, but uh, appreciate you for supporting yeah. the show. Anyway, thank you for the five star review. Yeah. Um, sorry if we offend you guys sure. sometimes, but we're just going to offend everybody. Cause that's kind of our thing. I, okay. I want to also say this too. Um, we don't pretend to be perfect Christians either. Mm-hmm. Like in some ways, like I used to be for a long time. I, I was a person who never, ever sweared. And I found that when I started, it was like, I could just stop pretending I was better than everybody else. And I'm not, I'm not saying that is what you are doing. I'm not saying that, you know, if you don't swear, that's what you're doing. But I think that there's like a, a Christian veneer that Christians often have. That's not true, but we kind of hold it up. And there are like all these little rules that we follow that don't really matter, but that, kind of maintain this mask of perfection. And I found that when I let that go in my life, it was really, it was a really good thing. And it allowed me to connect with people in a, in a way that I never could before. And to be honest about my own imperfections in a way that I never could before. Last thing I want to say on it too, is like, if, if we're wrong, then, then legitimately, I mean this, then pray for us, pray that God convicts us and changes our minds on it. Cause 'cause we are imperfect. That's the thing. Um, for me, I think it slips through more because we've we've built this whole show around not censoring ourselves. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean in language, right? I mean, there are a lot of concepts that are very unpopular that we talk about. There's a lot of things that are going to get us kicked off of. We, we've been kicked off of Twitch mm-hmm. already. We're, we've had, we're going to be kicked off of YouTube at some point. Um, so there's kind of just this thing we've built up where we're just trying our hardest to say what is on our minds and on our hearts. Mm-hmm. So, and if we're wrong, 
pray for us. Pray that God convicts us and changes our minds on it because um, we could be wrong. Uh, last thing really quick. Answered Seder. Give us another $5 rumble rant. Says, I meant to be. I meant it to be $10. You did great, Abby. So thank you, Answered Seder. Thank you guys for everybody for being here. There's one um, from Save for a Reason, too. You should grab real quick. Oh, did I miss it? It just came. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Save for a Reason says... Uh, thanks for the podcast. Thanks for taking the time to actually respond to people who have thoughts and questions. I love your Bible studies from you guys and the other ginger siblings. <laughs> Thank you for the $20 rumble rant. He's talking about my sister with uh, quirks of creation. So yeah. go check that show out as well. We really appreciate you guys. We're going to stay on YouTube this time, but if you're listening to this, uh, on audio podcast, whatever, yeah. Apple iTunes, whatever, um, make sure to come over and follow us on rumble. Uh, yeah. that's where we get to talk with everybody. We're going to be reading, uh, chats from people. We're going to be looking at the memes you guys send us and all that stuff. So that's kind of the part that you miss if you're just listening to this. Yeah. So please come over and support us that way. Hang out with us. We're getting close to 5,000 on Rumble. So uh, help so us close. help us get there, guys. 